welcome back to another episode startups sparks and serendipity it's max on this side who's on the other side again uh, mike this time how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing great how are you doing can't complain i uh, had a really productive week made lots of progress uh, at blair uh, my startup and then also had a lot of very interesting mock interviews for y combinator meeting a lot of great founders and yeah, it was a busy week, but uh, definitely a good one. How did uh, all those founders react to the fact that YC, YC's new batch is going to be remote? <laughs> yeah, actually like many had questions about it that I couldn't fully answer, right? Uh, because I wasn't in a remote batch, but this gave them my opinion on how like it might change the experience, what could be better, what could be worse. But in general, I think it doesn't really matter if YC is remote or not. If you get the chance to participate, in my opinion, you should, you should. Makes sense. I mean, also on the fact that we had two episodes before that were kind of introducing the YC application, I think I would be interested to hear your opinion. How, how did it go? Was, what was the, the general feedback? What, what kind of topics are people working on? Do you have a, a good overview on that? Yeah, but I, I, I can't talk about any details, right? Sure. Because uh, that would identify startups and I uh, like... I can't tell you who potentially gets into YC or who got sure. into YC. But yeah, lots of interesting things. Um, I, I mean, I can say that some things are at least somehow related to Corona. Uh, yes. Others are um, just basically agnostic of the situation. And there have been a couple of companies that actually pivoted uh, due mm. to Corona. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can comment more once everything's public. But uh, lots of great founders from all over the world. Uh, it was very interesting to to hear what they what they're working on, and yeah, I was actually like positively surprised by uh, the quality of people and a couple of really cool ideas. I know that I'm teasing right now, but uh, sometimes sometimes you have to tease a bit. Of course, that's part of it. That's uh, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, great. I mean, um, today we we both wanted. I mean, we had a a Google sheet where we kind of put together a couple of thoughts and ideas of what we want to talk about. Um, and, and shout out of course to Tim Ferriss and Kevin Rose, who of course have been an inspiration for, for some years who have also done the random show, which kind of also was part of our inspiration of Mike and Max talking about different topics. Of course they are on, uh, they are on for quite some years and have, have a different experience, but I think just bringing together the thoughts was quite nice. And, and today, today we wanted to talk about a couple of things. First, there was a brand study published quite recently that we wanted to talk about, which kind of um, summarizes different brand perceptions between young generations and older generations and we would love to cover a couple of email routines um mike is a nerd when it comes to routines i am a nerd when it comes to routines especially when it comes to email routines um <laughs> yeah very excited to hear yours actually <laughs> um of course and and of course we're going to also have a couple of quotes that we would like to discuss in a more maybe philosophical way at the end of the session so how about we start with the brand study mike yeah, let's go. Uh, I, I mean, you have probably read more of it, but I took a like brief look into it. Some very interesting findings, like not necessarily what I would have expected. Uh, I think I read an article about like how different generations perceive brands some time ago, but very interesting to see how it develops. And yeah, maybe you can give a brief intro, and then I have a couple of comments that I that I want to make. Absolutely. Uh, so. 
what I found interesting, it's like a brand um, intimacy study. That's how it's called. And it was published a couple of weeks ago, as far as I can, I can see. And we just wanted to kind of deep dive what it could potentially mean for startups or people working in startups. Um, and the general overview maybe to the study is there were 25,000 respondents um, and, and more or less 20,000 qualitative brand stories were analyzed across different brands and across different participants taking place for the survey, for kind of analyzing the different brands in regards to their perception on different user groups, different age groups. And what's quite remarkable, like one of the first insight that they made was that, and that's probably the first thing we could talk about is the advantages of top brands. Um, and and mm. they classified it by the fact that 20% of consumers, industry agnostic, so there's not really a specific industry being touched, 20% of consumers are willing to pay 20% more for a service or a product when the brand is being perceived as cooler, more premium, classified as something different. And, and that's something that I found super, super interesting when it comes to building startups and not forgetting the brand on the pathway. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about brands is that brands are very good heuristics for people, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you, let's say, one of my favorite examples is you are in a foreign country uh, on your holiday and you have the choice of so many different local restaurants. There's mm -hmm. so many people that just, that just go to McDonald's or to Subway, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> just because they, they know what to expect. And that's one part. I think it's just knowing what to expect, just having... I think the upside of going to the local restaurant could be much higher, right? Mm -hmm. But also the variability is much higher as well. So the safe choice in this instance, just go with what you know. Uh, actually, that rhymes. I like that. Go with what you know. I think that's like part one of the brand story. Yeah. And the other part of the brand story is, uh, I think that's what you, what you said as well, it's perception. And mm -hmm. the, the funny thing about brands is that there is this own internal perception of how you yourself yourself perceive the brand and the quality that comes with it but for like especially in in some areas like fashion or cars the external perception plays a really big role right so there's so many people who actually buy fashion not necessarily for themselves mm -hmm. but just for how other people perceive you and yeah it's very interesting to, to to get an understanding of what you want your own startup to do like your own brand to do in your potential customer do you want to signal trust do you want to signal high quality mm. do you want to signal some kind of elite status which is what all the luxury brands are doing so yeah i think uh, depending on which industry you're in very very important and sometimes even in industries where it's usually not important it can be a big advantage if you play it right absolutely and and I agree, and I would even add, go one further. I think most of the brands that we talk about, also when when looking at high premium brands or even low low quality brands, potentially that people have lots of like a high perception of, and they believe it's a great product for them. There's always a lot of trust involved, which funny enough, the, the survey or the study kind of expressed as well, because they said that when you look at the top five brands, which is funny enough, um, Amazon, Disney, Apple, Ford, and Jeep. Of course, we are talking about a, a US-focused. Um, yeah, sounds, sounds very US-focused if, if Ford US is up there. <laughs> right, right, right. It's very US-focused. But um, of course, with kind of uh, looking at it, I think what's very interesting here is that 
at least from the top three brands, so Amazon, Disney, Apple, they had a brand loyalty with potentially around 50 to 70% of the users using the services or products for more than seven years. So I think that mm. already exemplifies that. And I think that's an interesting like, an analytics to, to look upon, which is people have actually been with those brands for quite a long time and they've interacted mm-hmm. with the brand for quite a long time, which of course builds trust and which of course also gives a different perception of, of those kind of brands. And I believe, and that's kind of my hypothesis, that this is something that will potentially change over the next years because we see that they are going to be fast building communities. Um, if you look at, for example, maybe niche products like Superhuman that we have talked about or different different communities, uh, different SaaS products that kind of build communities within their products, I think those life cycles of building trust are going to decrease over time and brand perception is going to get a different view because younger people are, they're going to use TikTok for half a year and they believe it's the greatest thing ever and they trust in the product because they have so much fun using it. When back then the, the generation was maybe more more deliberate when looking at products and and services they like and they kind of analyze them over years to build trust and buy them year over year again which is something Mm -hmm. that i found very interesting and i would love to observe that over the next years yeah i think like let's talk about a couple of the interesting findings of the study and then maybe close it off with some of the theory behind it Uh, i'll I'll just quote a bit from uh, the actual study i have it open right now Um, like first of all one thing that's really interesting is they separated it by age groups Mm-hmm. And uh, for the people 18 to 34 years old, by the way, I think it was actually this study I, I read about a couple of weeks ago, if, if it's a bit older. Um, nice. So if it's 18 to 34 years, number one is PlayStation, <laughs> number two is Amazon, number three is Target, actually, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, number four is Disney, and then number five is Ford. Even in the 18 to 34-year-olds, I, I find that very surprising. I mean, Mike, everybody's dream is a Ford Mustang GT, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Mustang. I, I totally forgot. I'm, I'm not a car freak, as you might know. But like, if I think of Ford, I, I think of, I don't know, like not, not the most exciting thing, especially if it's top five, right? There's so many other cool things you could, you could put on there. Absolutely. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, thanks for clarifying. <laughs> then uh, 35 to 50 uh, Four years old is actually Apple is number one, Amazon is number two, same position as in the younger group, Netflix is number three, Jeep is number four, and Disney is number five. So Disney is in like, uh, if, un- until you're 54, apparently both uh, top fives. And then the like 55 to 64 is very interesting because Amazon is number one, which is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Then Toyota, a foreign brand, is number two. Mm-hmm. And then Apple number three, Costco number four and Macy's number five, which is very interesting. <laughs> Complete um, different perception. Yeah, very, very different. And then what I find even more interesting is they separated it by income as well. Uh, those who earn 35 to 50K, Disney number one, Netflix number two, Amazon number four, Walmart number, f- sorry, Amazon number three, Walmart number four and PlayStation number five. And then now no, the funny part starts. So if it's 75 to 100K, Apple number one, Target number two, then Hershey uh, number three, and then then the, then the cliches, the North Face is number four, and Whole Foods is number five. <laughs> yeah, I think I wouldn't. I, I, if I would have needed to pay money for this, I, I, I was I would be pretty sure that it would not be this categorization actually. Yeah. Okay. Let's. What are your top three brands right now, spontaneously? Do, do you have any any ideas? I think Apple is probably one of them. Um, okay. 
been a very fascinated Apple user for quite some years. Um, mm -hmm. I think the second would also be Amazon, also looking at the lifetime of, of trust I've given to them. <laughs> mm. And the third one, that's something I would need to think about. Maybe you start off with the first two and then we talk about the last one. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I, I asked a question where I don't have a full answer to, but I think uh, without <laughs> ordering them, just a couple of things that I, I highly value. Google is way up there because yeah. I've used Gmail for such a long time. I use Google Calendar. It saves my day almost every single day. I'm just using so many Google products and yeah, you don't even have to pay for it. And then I use Google, like the search engine, like probably every day. So I think Google far up there. But the question then, is like, is that, would you perceive it as your top brand or is it just something? Yeah, I love okay. Google. Yeah, Google is great. I, I am very much a believer in their ability to spin out great products. And then also mm. I love their moonshot ideas as well. Yep. So yeah. Google, Google way up there, definitely above Apple and Facebook and the others. But Amazon is also way up there just because, I don't know, like it's just convenient. And then also they own Audible and yeah. I'm a huge Audible fan. So, and I, my Kindle is also very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, so buying all my books from them, either in ebook form, but also all my analog books. And then the last one is difficult. I want to say something cool, like... Something that's that, that's the reason why I gave it, gave it to you to need to think about a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have a cool answer. I, I think there are a couple of like more niche nerdy answers of yeah. brands that I just really appreciate. But I think if you had asked me a couple of years ago, Blizzard would definitely be mm. like probably top three. Yeah. But they kind of ran it down the last couple of years. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think I just give you my top two, and then uh, I have to think about the number three. I wonder also, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's oh, also... Oh, I have one. Go ahead. Uh, Bose. Like, I love, love, love the headphones. Oh, is that true? And I, I literally wear them every day and have been wearing them every day for the last couple of years. It's actually the only product I use of them, but I, I have a very high, very high intimacy <laughs> with them because of it. So they're, they're definitely up there. It seems like we're probably far out of the, the standard and we're probably some sort of bubble. Um, I mean, we love products like Google, which probably nobody, like, nobody has a big favor for Google, especially not in the generation of 18 to 34, because of course, that's also mm -hmm. what the study says. They're more about kind of PlayStation, eSports, e-gaming, um, or gaming in general. Um, they're more about getting things quickly, ordering things quickly, which is a general thing that people but we, like. But we both said Amazon, to be fair, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, right. I, I actually thought about some gaming brands, but I just don't think that my intimacy with them is as, as strong because there's just such a big ecosystem. I'm a PC gamer, yeah. so I, I can't really say like PC. I, I could say Steam, but I am not too 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 attached to steam in general <laughs> not anymore my time is also over with steam but i was a big fan back then even though i didn't like the the user experience but yeah the user experience is shitty yeah <laughs> uh, hey what you gonna do right uh, but maybe I, let's one, switch to the oh, go ahead sorry. one one thing that i would love to to still mention is they also did analysis on the generation z which and and please correct me if i'm wrong but i think officially we are part of it no 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 i'm i'm not gen z i'm very certain that i'm not gen z you sure about it uh, I'll look it up. Maybe I'm. Oh, maybe I'm confusing it. No, I think, I think you actually are. Um, but nevertheless, what I found interesting, looking looking at Generation Z, Xbox is number ah, one. No, I'm not. I'm not. last year of millennial. What 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 is it? In, what's 95 the time is the cutoff. I'm 94. 
Got it. Okay. So I can speak for, for the generation actually. Um, yeah. You, you can speak for the like really young folks without <laughs> experience that are just like coming into the world and don't know like right. a lot of stuff. And I can be the, like the old wise uh, representative. Exactly. You like Toyota, you like uh, Costco, Macy's. That's exactly what Mike does. That's, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> no, I think actually funny enough, maybe lastly, when looking at, at Gen Z, Xbox is number one, Spotify is number two. Actually, we both forgot them. I'm a big Spotify fan. I, I don't know if you are, but I'm a big Spotify pan, a fan. And what, what, what I found interesting by the ana analysis was both of those are the highest number of why people perceive those brands as very trustful and very useful for the daily things is that they have a daily ritual for both of those tools. They, they play games and they have a ritual for it in the evenings or in the mornings. And they also listen to music a lot, which they kind of have a daily ritual for. So they're daily users, which apparently made a big difference uh, when looking at Generation Z compared to other generations. They don't perceive brands as more, more trustful or more useful for them just because they have daily rituals for them. But the younger generations, they have that being mentioned within the study. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit similar for us, right? Uh, I, I literally said the reason why I like, like Google that much and trust it is because I use it every day. Amazon, very similar. Mm. And then I'm very disappointed in Gen Z. Like Xbox, definitely not the way to go. Way too, <laughs> way too few exclusives. And um, yeah, but I, we don't want to talk about console wars right now. <laughs> it's good that we don't have xbox fans in here i'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> maybe i don't know like i'm not i don't have anything against xbox but i don't think like number one is deserved hmm. <laughs> okay let's switch to the theory just a couple of great or not great but very interesting things and in how they define it yep so basically they have um a couple of different archetypes and stages and what i found really interesting is the stages like uh, apparently, they can classify the stage of how intimate you are with a specific brand. At least they try. And there is stage one, which is sharing. And that means, uh, I, I just read the definition, when the person and the brand engage and interact, there's knowledge being shared. And the person is informed about what the brand is all about and mm -hmm. vice versa. Okay. Uh, so here it's about reciprocity and assurance. And then the next step after sharing apparently is bonding, number two. Uh, this is when an attachment is created and the relationship between a person and a brand becomes more significant and committed. Sounds a bit like relationships. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, they literally say relationships, but I mean like physical relationships. This is a stage of acceptance and the establishment of trust. Uh, okay, interesting. So at first you just share information apparently, then you have some kind of real trust and commitment. Maybe that's when you upgrade from your monthly subscription to the annual subscription. Mm. Could, be. <laughs> and then, Could be. Then fusing. Fusing is the last thing. Then when a person and a brand are inexorable, uh, I don't know, like very much linked and co-identified. <laughs> in this stage, the identities of the person and the brand begin to merge and become a form of mutual realization and expression. That's a lot of fluff words for saying you basically see that brand as part of your identity, which is yep. a lot of people that you see on the street with their fashion choices, I think. Right. Uh, at least sometimes. I think not like also Apple, right? I mean, I see yeah, yeah, yeah. being fusionized or whatever, if that's a word, but fusionized with um, <laughs> with with the iPhone or the MacBook or whatever. Mm. And, and funny enough, they've marked it differently, right? As far as I understand, sharing is kind of like the first entrance into getting closer to the brand bonding mm. is something where you kind of where you, where you have a full engagement with the brand and fusing is something that 
not always happens, partly happens, which would then mean that you have an extraordinary relationship to the brand. So it's kind of one step after the other. Um, and, and I think what startups could look at it is also how do you actually create a more sharing how do you create a stage where, where your brand is around sharing? But of course, the final goal would be how can you kind of fuse with your with the user, right? And that's something where, where of course, the magic comes in. And that's also about trust, I guess. Yeah. By the way, the, the word I stumbled over is inexorably, uh, just for everyone who was wondering <laughs> what, I, what I try to do with my mouth. So basically, okay. Um, that was a lot about brands. <laughs> let's, let's maybe switch the topic. Yep. And... Go over to, I think, email routines. Let's go with that. And uh, then we can also talk a bit about uh, our actual reading suggestions for today because I have like two related to emails and then one more. And sure. then afterwards, we should uh, probably, yeah, let's see how, how, how long it takes to talk about emails. So, Max, what's your email routine? I mean, let's start. I have a couple of things that I would love to mention. And, and there's not a clear routine that I have. It's more I have different methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of helped me to get my emails organized. I think one thing that helps me, um, which I'm not always following, but most of the time, let's say 70 to 80%, I'm following it. I have a certain email time, which usually is either before my first task in the morning, if some, if I, if I have the feeling that something really, there's something really urgent in my inbox. If not, it's after my first kind of important task. Uh, and the second time is in the afternoon. Most of the time, around two to three p.m., um, I'm mm-hmm. looking at, I'm looking at emails again. What's very important also on my side is. Um, I've always worked, at least for the last two years, I've always worked with shortcuts, which make mm-hmm. my email kind of lifestyle lots, lot, lot of, like a lot easier. Uh, so yeah. I work with a couple of shortcuts. Email, uh, Google actually has some standard ones. E, for example, is archive. R is reply. F is forward. So it's super simple. And that helps me um, to kind of get everything together. Um, and, and Superhuman, which is like the new kind of cool email app, they also have those shortcuts in place, which make life a lot easier. So those are my first two points. And everybody can actually on Gmail, you can establish um, shortcuts and they help. Um, so I can definitely recommend that. Yeah, yeah. Shortcuts, shortcuts are life in, in terms of emails, right? Yeah, I also use A, which is reply all, and B, which is snooze a lot in Gmail. But yeah, like once you once you have your your actual like shortcut routine, writing emails becomes so much easier. If you don't have to touch your mouse, that's also the rule of most investment bankers when they are in Excel. But in our case, it's in Gmail or Superhuman. That's a good sign. So, do you have your notifications on? No, never. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand like how people can work when they have their notifications on. I mean, it depends a bit maybe on what you're doing, but in general, I, I do it very similar to you. Like I, I have an email block after I actually got some shit done and then at some point in the evening again, but I don't want to spend too much time in my email inbox because it's, it's basically the to-do list that other people tell me, right? Mm-hmm. It's not my own priorities not necessarily um so what i'm also doing a lot is actually pausing my inbox i think you talked about that as well in one of the last conversations which is great because usually when you write a couple of emails you just don't want to be distracted by other emails that are that are coming in so pausing the inbox is definitely helpful and then in terms of my routine uh, for a couple of years i had a fairly good routine that worked well where i had the multiple inbox feature activated in gmail we had my main inbox and then i had three other inboxes uh, next to my main inbox mm-hmm. where I would classify things for this is important and critical. So do this soon. This is something you should follow up on. 
And then lastly, I had something like, uh, this is where you, where you wait for an answer. And that worked extremely well when the number of emails was still somehow manageable. So when I just had a couple of emails uh, in my inbox and a couple of emails uh, in all of these uh, categories, but at some point it just became overwhelming and uh, I lost, I almost lost focus when I looked into the email just because there was so much stuff going on. So what I implemented fairly recently is one touch inbox zero again. I don't know if you know the the article, but it's like a fairly famous article that was really big on Reddit and just in general in the productivity scene from 40 Labs. And we link it in the in the show notes. It's literally called something like one uh, one touch inbox zero, how I do my emails in 17 minutes a day or something. And basically the idea of it is like achieving inbox zero, which is basically the goal of most people in the ebook <laughs> in the like that use email a lot. But he also has a fairly good system of how to actually achieve it. And um, I can comment a bit on that, but but first of all, like any other big email tips uh, that you have? Maybe it comes into play when when going to the inbox zero. I hope I I don't spoiler anything, but I think <laughs> one thing that works for me very well is going through the inbox all going through the inbox all at once. So I have different emails, and if I can't answer them now within two minutes, usually that's kind of my guideline. Then I put a reminder on them or a snooze button in order to work on them maybe the afternoon or the next day, or even sometimes it's a week or two weeks out in case I don't see any relevance or importance of answering it within the next couple of days. Um, then the remind feature, which Google has, which most of the, uh, the the email providers have, I kind of remind it further or, or snooze it. That's, there's different wordings for it, but that's the general idea of it. And that helps me to, to not lose stuff but also to mm. kind of prioritize emails right when I read them. And, and you shouldn't read them more than, than twice. Yeah, that's something like that I am still a bit torn on because sometimes they're just emails where I have to process them a couple of times. It, mm. It's very rare, but just like, I don't like this absolute rule of never read your emails like more than twice or more than once or whatever. Sometimes I just need it depending on what it is. And I just don't know what I want to answer. And I probably don't know what to answer in a day. If it's not like super important and maybe I just, maybe I'm just bad at committing the answer. But <laughs> yeah, for me, it helps need... because you have Go a ahead. specific time and, and if the specific time is longer, let's say it's 60 minutes, then you should consider certain emails to kind of be more long form and more and, and they need to be synthesized in order to understand them correctly. So I kind of put that into my kind of thought process when going through emails anyways, mm. to potentially have some emails that need some more brain capacity than others. <laughs> yeah, often it's not necessarily the difficult emails in the sense of thinking a lot, but rather just how do I answer this specific question that this mm. person asked me in the context of our relationship in the larger, uh, just a larger context? But mm. let, let's focus on the inbox zero thing. So basically, first of all, what he what he tells you and what what I've also tried to practice for some time is first unsubscribe for all, from all unnecessary stuff and just try to get as few newsletters or whatever as possible in at least in your main inbox. What I've done, I've actually created a separate inbox only for newsletters and other readings that I just sometimes go into and just try to find some good reading material. And uh, that's not necessarily recommended in the article, but I just like that that separation. Like then that, yeah. uh, the next thing is like turn off everything else, just have one email inbox. Uh, like you, you see all your emails in there and then you archive everything uh, that's done. And then one thing that I that I didn't really think about before 
that much, but that's super helpful is he has some kind of downstream action for every inbox, uh, sorry, for every email. And how he separates it is basically, there are a couple of different options. Either you answer the email directly, which is very obvious, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can answer, just answer. And also, if it's, a, if it's something that's based on a time, uh, then have a, an integration that you can put it in your calendar extremely quickly. So if you use Gmail, usually that's your Google calendar. That's not a big problem. Then if it is a task that you have to do, then have some kind of integration with a to-do list or task manager, but just make sure that you um, like get it out of your email inbox. Don't use the email inbox as a to-do list. Just have a separate system for that. I'm using Sonsama. Many people are using either Todoist or some people are using Wunderlist or mm. one of these others. But just get it out of your inbox, get it into your task manager if it's, a, if it's a task. And then the other two things are having a read later app. I use Pocket. So whenever I get an article, whenever someone sends me an article and I want to read it, I just put it in Pocket and archive the email. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, there's something like a reference app. And that's something I'm still figuring out. He uses, uh, I think, Evernote to just send like documents that he wants to store or other things. Uh, I'm, I'm saving a lot of the like work documents directly in the Google Drive. Uh, you can do that out of the, the Gmail account immediately. And then also mm -hmm. I have a, like a system for where I want to store my contacts and where I want to store other things. But I, like, I haven't really fully integrated that into email yet. But I, I like the idea of just having a, a predefined flow for everything. And then just making sure that you get it out of your inbox as quickly as possible. And I forgot one really important thing, right? You get so many emails where you don't have to answer. So just archive them. Mm. Just say, okay, you don't need an answer from me. Read and archive. And that's usually just people that are spamming me. So I, I try to be thoughtful and answer most of the emails if it's someone uh, that writes me a good email. But all of the spam are like, not like just someone that wants to sell me stuff that I don't need. Uh, yeah, they don't need an answer. That's I, I love that you're mentioning it because then that's that's an interesting um, thought point because there are two schools, right? I, I've heard people saying you wouldn't also when somebody comes at you on the street, you wouldn't also just leave and, and don't say anything usually um, if you're polite. Um, but on the other hand, there's the other school. So you would, all, which means that you would also answer or try to answer all the emails that you get. That's kind mm -hmm. of the one part. That's the one, the one, one side of things. And the other side says, Hey, um, if there are kind of emails that distract you, just, just delete them or just archive them as you mentioned. And that's something where I would also consider myself as part of the second army where I mm -hmm. think um, you need to be very selective also on which kind of emails you reply to and which emails you just don't because i think also a lot of people just say thanks as a reply and the problem is what happens is most sometimes the other person just comes back at you and and writes uh, like an email that kind of just distracts you again and you, you could just come mm -hmm. into an email flow again of just archiving it and that's it, the conversation is is ending right you would you wouldn't also when you meet a person for three hours you wouldn't also call them at night again and say hey, how are you doing right you wouldn't also restart the conversation again so why why are you doing it in email right as soon as the conversation is gone just end the conversation and move on and i think that's something where a lot of people just um, keep following up on certain things where they could actually just archive of it yeah 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 i think in terms of just people reaching out just protect your own time right if there's like in my case like the 14th company that wants to sell me like some kind of development resource from <laughs> yeah. eastern europe or india i just i mean i don't need to answer them right, right. Agree. but if it's someone that i don't know and if he or she sends me a very thoughtful email then i usually reply uh, so it's, it's just a, a bit dependent on what it is and sometimes i just I, I don't reply immediately but i usually try to answer people that put a lot of effort into it. Agreed. By the way, in the interest of time, I have one more thing that I want to, two more things actually that I want to mention 
in the email part, and then we also need to to close it off um, <laughs> because I have another YC mock interview in a couple of minutes. Nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm at number like 44 right now. Oh, so, <laughs> way too many. Actually, David, my co-founder, covered me for a bit, but one of my tweets went a bit tweets went a bit too viral, and I had way too many people like getting to my Calendly and just booking slots. And then at some point it just felt bad. So I tried to at least incorporate as many as I could. I couldn't like do it for everyone, but I, I tried to squeeze very, very many you, people in because I knew how important it can be for them. You don't look that bad, actually. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. I'm, uh, you still look I'm, fresh. Uh, I'm, I'm, keeping, I'm keeping up. I'm protecting my sleep. At least I tried. <laughs> so uh, two things. One, no, three things, actually. One thing you can actually do to improve your own emails is look at emails of very accomplished people. And usually you can get them if you look for court cases or something. Because usually like Apple or Google or whoever, they only publish emails if they are sued. So there are a couple of really interesting emails. For example, there's one really interesting email exchange, I think, from... Tim Cook and I think it's Rupert Murdoch or like some media giant and they're talking about bringing out some kind of Apple product for books or for eBooks. And it's very interesting how they communicate. I'll try to find it and link it in the show notes. Mm, I'll write that down real quick. And then also uh, two other things, have other people proofread your emails. That's what I learned at Stripe. At Stripe, you like for very important emails, uh, they usually uh, want you to have someone else look over it and just have an iterative, pro- an iterative process and just make the best possible email out of it. Mm-hmm. That's something that really helps me if it's an important email. Don't do that for like very like normal emails, but for very important emails, uh, treat them a bit similar to important texts. And then lastly, one other thing is there's a really cool email, uh, email article in uh, the Harvard Business Review. It's called Answering Emails with military precision. Uh, I'll also link that in the show notes. And what I like about this is it has a couple of very, not unconventional, but just a couple of tips that I don't follow to like 100%, but that uh, makes sense to me depending on the context. So one thing they apparently do in the military is they put an action in the title. Mm -hmm. So they tell you what this email is about. They say either info, if it's just informative, they say uh, action, if you have to do something, they say a couple of other things. I don't remember all of them, but they uh, try to tell you in the subject line what you have to do with the email to process it efficiently, which is very helpful. You, you can't really do that when you just send it to like a potential client where you say action. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, right. um, I, I think like internally or sometimes <laughs> depending on who you, who you talk to, it actually might be very helpful. Uh, for example, actually YC is doing that as well. So they send us a lot of emails, um, sometimes just informative emails, but whenever there's something uh, like that needs to be done, then they put something in like action required or something like that. Uh, and then I know, okay, this email is more important. I need to do something. Mm. Got it. And the last thing, they sometimes for very long emails, apparently in the military, they put a, a summary at the top that just summarizes the long email in one or two sentences for people who are maybe in CC and don't need to know everything, who just need to know the gist of it. Got it. Cool. Nice. I like the the action and title thing. I might, I might, yeah. I'm definitely going to try that. Yeah. Try that at Starmind and uh, see how it goes. Will do. Uh, okay. Uh, do you have anything else to comment? Otherwise I'll, I'll close it off with a quote uh, as we, as is our new ritual. 
Um, just one last thing, uh, which is very short. Trust the search. Um, don't open oh, yeah. up too many projects, too many folders. I've seen people that have like 64 folders that they try to organize, <laughs> which doesn't work at all. Uh, and of course, you can have a couple of projects depending on the projects that you have going on, maybe three to four folders. I really don't have any, but I think don't don't overload your <laughs> your left side of the screen. <laughs> yeah, and hide almost all of those. Like it's it's way too much on your screen if like every single photo and label that you ever created is seen there. Right. I think yeah, I think our email routine is fairly similar actually, which is which is okay. interesting to know. <laughs> right. But yeah, Absolutely. that's a good thing to close it off with. Okay, I'll, I'll close it off with a quote. Uh, everyone, uh, we really appreciate the feedback that's coming our way. Uh, feel free to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast because we are sometimes telling you about new podcasts, but it's just easier if you uh, get it directly from your trusted intimate podcast app like whoever you trust whether it's spotify or apple podcast we don't judge uh, we upload everywhere and then also shout out to parker from uh, abanda media who uh, is nice enough to actually cut our episodes so shout out to you my man shout out to parker and <laughs> and yeah i'll close it off and uh, i close it off with a quote from steve jobs and i promise that we will also get to a couple of less known people from time to time give you good stuff. But that's just a really good one that is very relevant as well uh, in the context of emails and other people wanting to give you to do. And one thing he said is people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on, but that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that there are. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things we haven't done as the things I have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. And with that, I wish you a very productive day and we hear each other soon. Bye, Thank Max. you, Mike. Cheers.